0: all right welcome to the sweet science of finding podcast today we have martin binger so welcome martin
1: hey thanks for having me on it's good to catch up with you again
0: no thank you for coming on i've been a guest on your podcast now so i'm going to pay back the favor pay back the favor <laughs> but um for the listeners or for the audience now do you want to give us a brief background of yourself and then we can dive straight into the periodization topic
1: yeah. So um, I mean, we've met each other a couple of years ago at the Vern Gabetta's Gain conference. Like and-
0: five years ago now, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Exactly. But I think a lot,
1: like a lot of people at, at Gain, I got a couple um, pots on the iron. My, my uh, main coaching role at the moment is national hammer throw coach for Switzerland. Uh, I was 11 uh, times Swiss champion in the hammer throw and then I've transitioned to becoming a, a coach uh, here. So I work with some of the top hammer throwers in the country. Uh, outside of that and we've worked together here on Hammer media. Um, it's a company I own and run it's HMMRmedia.com. We've got a bunch of podcasts articles, videos, um, training resources up there from you know 25 different contributors yourself included me but you know different people from all kinds of different. Sports, uh, just talking about how we can improve athletic performance, sharing ideas on different topics. Um, so th- those are the main things um, I'm working on. I also am doing strength and conditioning uh, on an ad hoc basis with you know different athletes in different sports. We've done quite a bit of work with rugby the last couple of years as well, as a new um, new adventure, learning about something new and uh, team sport context, uh, contact sports where I've taken a lot of stuff from you on. On the contact, which, you know, as you said, fighting is also, yeah, it's
0: also a right. contact
1: sport. Um, some fights in rugby, not as many, though. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah,
1: that's a, that's a little bit about my background.
0: No, actually just remembered, you actually did a video with Joel Jamison way back, wasn't it? On, um Ex- Oh, what was it on, on eight weeks
1: out yeah, yeah. on the Bondarchuk and periodization exercise classification stuff yeah so he he's from uh my hometown of seattle um ah. and i met up with him one time when i went back there and we, we we did that and that was actually one of the first things that kind of got some of the stuff i was writing and talking about outside of the very small world of hammer throwing and uh, had people talking about okay how can you take some of these ideas and apply them elsewhere
0: perfect we'll, we'll dive into that soon as well but first maybe just for listeners let's cover. I guess a, a layman's definition, what is periodization? And then maybe run through some of the different types of periodization that I guess are are common.
1: I mean, my definition of periodization is probably different than the standard scientific definition, or maybe Mm -hmm. you can give input on that. But typically people think about periodization as like the uh, sequential long-term planning of, training and from my point of view i I take out the whole sequential part because i don't think it has to be sequential that you um uh, for me it's more about just the long-term planning you know how are you going to structure your you know it could be an eight or 12 week plan if you're leading up to a fight it could be a yearly plan for us track and field athletes or it could be an you know olympic cycle plan for for track and field athletes how are you looking to build up the athlete over the long term and you know you can as I said, the traditional approach is to build it up sequentially. We you know we build block A, and then we build block B on top, of, on top of A, and you know, um, you, know you, you start with general qualities, and then you add the specific qualities on top, and so on. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way, as we'll talk about. So I, I like to just define it more as okay, what's the long-term planning? And uh, you know, one thing I think people miss too is it's it's the holistic plan. It's not just about what you're doing on the strength conditioning side; it's what you're doing on your sports side. It's what you're doing recovery wise. It's what you're doing tactically. You can plan every single element of training. And we get so focused on the sets and reps in our planning that we forget, oh, you know, how, if you're sparring, you know, what, what type of sparring are you doing? How long are you sparring? How many times a week are you sparring? That's also part of the plan. And that should be integrated in the periodization as well.
0: No, those are good points. You mentioned about you don't need to, to sequence. How, I guess, sometimes just visualize in my head, because I guess the typical way you get taught. You either block, you know, hypertrophy, then strength and power, or you're going from, as you mentioned, general to more specific to maybe competition style. If you're not sequencing in that way, then how is, how is it looking? I mean, it's a pretty general question. It's probably going to depend on the individual, but how would that look from a general st- standpoint?
1: I think, yeah. I mean, you're always going to have, I guess, sequencing in the terms of you need to, you need to have an element of change and you need to have something new. And if you're always doing the same thing, that's, you're not going to move forward. So you need to have sequence in that regard. What I, I guess I mean is it's not always a, a, a linear approach that, you know, you go from A to B to C to D um, and you're, you're building from general to specific. So what I mean, it, it doesn't have to be that way Is you need to have that element of change, but um, the traditional approach you read about in the textbooks is, okay, we start off with general work. So we're going to build this aerobic base and then we're going to go into the weight room and we're going to do, you know, high volume work. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to do sets of 10 on squats, and then we're going to move up to sets of five. And then we're going to move up to sets of three and one and start to work towards Mm -hmm. maximum strength. So it's very from that general qualities towards the specific qualities. And when you look at a lot of what the top coaches do um, and it, it deviates a lot from that textbook and, you know, if and I'm sure this is on the internet already later, but so I'll skip a little bit to it. But, you know, if, if you're going to be a good hammer thrower, I can't take a six-month block to build up that base and only halfway into the year really focus on the technique. Technique is paramount in hammer throwing. Technique is paramount in boxing. Um, it's paramount in MMA. It's paramount in almost every sport. You have to be able to be doing a little bit of everything at all times. You can't just focus only on those um isolated elements and then hope that they come together at the end. So for me, you need to have a bit of everything at all times. And I mean, almost every sport there, there will be sequences. Maybe you focus a little bit more here on one thing or there, another thing, or maybe you you change how you're doing each element. So you have sequences where it's okay. Well, um, you know, we, yes, we're throwing the hammer the whole time, but we'll throw with heavier implements or we'll throw with lighter implements or we'll do this type of drill to work on that element or that type of drill. So you have built in, sequences of change um but the elements in play are uh, often quite similar so that's (laughs) rambling a bit here but you're asking about the different types i mean it's block periodization is one thing you'll hear about that's where you're working very isolated we're going to work on only endurance now we're going to work on only maximum strength we're going to work on only these things so trying to focus the stimulus on one thing um, what I'm talking about more here is what's, you have different terms for it. I call it complex periodization, but that's where you're focusing on um, trying to build up the different qualities together. And so, yes, you're going to work on strength and technique and tactics at the same time. There might be a slight emphasis one or another way, but you have those elements in there at all times. And, you know, you get your change through not necessarily changing the focus, but changing the exercise you're using. So, um that, that would be one way to describe it
0: yeah no I'm, I'm always trying to preach that that idea you know you can't just remove a whole quality or multiple qualities from a program when you're in a sport that requires pretty much every physical quality you need you know combat sports rugby whatever it is you need aerobic anaerobic lactic energy system development you need strength, power, speed, all of it, you know? And when you start just doing one thing and get away from everything else, then you just start to run into issues, <laughs>
1: especially you're exactly. on the line. I think even more so in a sport, you know, like like the um, combat sports, where you typically have an eight to 12 week buildup, you don't have enough time to really isolate each one and then try and bring them all together. You know, if you're doing a shorter buildup, <clears> you really have to try and find a way to do it all together. If you have a year, you might have a chance. And that's how it, a block periodization approach still works in track and field some coaches use it um but there there you can you can spend a month or two on each individual quality and have some time to try and bring them together at the end of the season but in, in other sports mm. there's no chance or even in you know field sports if you have a four-week rugby preseason season yeah, forget about it um, <laughs> and, you I mean, gotta, you got to get right into the skills yeah. you have to for sure. um, install your game plan but at the same time you need to you know quote-unquote get fit at the same time you need to build strength like you, you have to do everything at once that's the reality
0: yeah and i mean i guess many fighters as well potentially get a call up to fight in two three weeks as well and you never know when that's around the corner so you, if you're in a hypertrophy block <laughs> coming out of that you're probably going to have a bad time getting into that fight just coming from that but,
1: but like um Genety turetsky was one of the top um top swim coaches the russian who went down to australia and, and worked with um uh what, what's his name the big russian uh sprinter swimmer 50 free anyway um he, yeah he um he coached some of the top top guys and the he always said like look my athletes will be ready to jump in the pool time of year. And they're going to be within a couple percentage points of their best. Uh, and you can't say that with a lot of people using traditional periodization, but you know, you can jump in and you can, you're not going to be maybe at your top, but you're going to be close. And if you get that call up for a fight and you've been doing a little bit of everything, then uh, yeah, you're going to be close to your best.
0: Nice. Those are good points. So let's dive into maybe one specific area. Cause obviously you've worked, you've worked with Bondichuk. Um, you've done his programming, so maybe you want to dive into the exercise classification, maybe his philosophy around periodization, maybe maybe some common misconceptions about it too.
1: Exactly. So I mean, Bonnerchuk is a for those who don't know, he's a hammer throw coach. He was the world record holder in the early '70s. Became the Soviet national coach and uh was you know his athletes set world records they won basically every medal from 76 until 92 when the soviet union fell he completely dominated the sport of hammer throwing on the technical side also reinvented the technique quite a bit but was quite um progressive also in the periodization of playing and that's why i think his ideas get a lot of carryover. and what i like about his approach is that he he was my coach for a while so that part of the reason i like it is and it worked for me but he, he tries to simplify things in an area where it can get really complex. I mean, everybody's a bit different. You know, what works for one athlete won't work for another. Um, this is one of the reasons that got me interested in periodization is because when I was 19 years old, I went to university. You know, I, I showed up with a bunch of other freshman athletes. We all got the same exact program. And, you know, all of my training partners were improving their bench press and squat 10, 20%. I mean, we're 19 years old. We're full of hormones. We should be getting stronger. And after eight months, you know, I was like, you know, a couple of kilos stronger in the lifts than I was before. And I was like, why is this the case? Everyone else is getting better and I'm not. And it's because everyone's a bit different. We act, react a bit different and uh, it's not as formulaic as you know, we make things out to be. And so that's what attracted me to Bonnerchuk is he, he, he's very individual in his approach but it's not individual in the sense of there's this huge mathematical formula that uh, you have to crunch the numbers and then this will get you the perfect plan. It's m- more, let's do the basic things. Um, we put together a plan with the basic elements there and we do it until it stops working. And then we'll try something else. It's a really simple approach and um, that, that's where, where it comes from. And, and to, to talk, it starts, you do a basic plan. Well, what does basic mean? For him, you can break down any sport into four categories. Um, you can nitpick about what's in this category, what's in that category. But the idea is like you got four basic things. You've got the sport itself, which he calls a competitive exercise. For us, that's throwing the hammer. You have specific strength exercises. He calls those uh, specific developmental exercises. But those are things where you, you take a part of your sport. So you break it down into its part so you can overload it a little bit. So for us, you know, if you watch the hammer throw, or if you have no idea what the hammer throw is, we, we take this ball and chain, twirl it around four times and launch it into a field. A specific strength exercise might be, you know, just taking, instead of a, a seven kilo hammer, we take a 20 kilo kettlebell from a standing position and throw it. So we're emphasizing that release movement. We're breaking it down to one element of the throw, taking something a bit heavier, um so we got the overload and working with it and it can be doesn't have to be overload doesn't have to be heavier it can be faster it can be overloading you know balance you could be doing on an unstable surface or something so you're overloading a, a different component but the idea is you break it down into its elements and make it a little bit harder so that's the second category third category are specific preparatory exercises and that's where uh, you start to have exercises that they don't look like the sport but they're training the same muscles and they're training the same energy system so Hammer throw is an explosive sport. We're using the legs. We're using the whole body, Um, going in the weight room, doing cleans, doing squats, you know, those types of things. They don't look like the hammer throw, but they're building the same muscles. They're building explosive strength. Um, So that'd be kind of the third tier. And then the fourth tier are general preparatory exercises. These are things where you start to get away from the sport completely. Um, You're building energy systems that are different. You know, might be doing circuit training, work capacity work. Um, things like that and so he uses that kind of a checklist these are the four areas they're also kind of the priority too like the the priority for everyone should be their sport that doesn't mean that the third and fourth categories don't play a role i mean if if i weigh 180 kilos and i'm completely out of shape i'm not going to be able to do the train i need to get the throws I want in the first category. So you have to have the general exercises there. You have to have the raw horsepower. You have to have the overall fitness to be able to prepare you to train. And so those third and fourth categories are always going to be present because you need, you need to prepare yourself to train. But those first two categories are there to prepare you to compete. And, um, you know, he has a little bit of those elements available all the time. Um, and yeah, the checklist is then, let's, let's take a couple from each of those categories. We'll put that into a training program. You got four categories. You might get maybe 10 exercises out of that. You know, three, four specific exercises, a couple key uh, whole body exercises in the weight room and some, you know, core circuits or or things like that. And, you know, that's your training plan. You get maybe 10 exercises. You do it, you repeat it. You might do it five days a week. You might do it. uh, When when I was training with him, we trained 10 sessions a week. Sometimes the same thing, 10 times a week. And you repeat it. You track your results uh, until you stop getting better, like I said. Maybe that's after three weeks. Maybe it's after six weeks. And once you stop improving, then you change it up. So it's a pretty simple approach. Um, but like I said, it's, he calls it complex in that you have all four categories present the whole time. Other approaches would like a more block periodization approach would be okay let's start in the general category let's do that for a month yeah let's move to the specific preparatory exercise for a month let's move the specific development exercise for a month and kind of isolate those qualities and he's trying to bring all those qualities together real simple um do the same thing over and over and then uh, wait till you stop improving and then change it
0: so you mentioned about your exercise classification you're doing a bit of i guess a bit of everything instead of just the gpp and just SPP, etc. Why do you think that works so well compared to just blocking it?
1: One thing I've noticed in, in the hammer throw world, and I think it applies to almost any sport, is when you, when you try and build up, like let's say you use a more traditional approach where you, you do DPP and then SPP in this, okay, you get a really good base um, aerobically in the general phase. And then you, let's say you get a really good um, hypertrophy phase and then you get a really good max strength phase. Well. You spend four weeks on each, that's 12 weeks. And then you get into the technical phase, you're fit, um, you're strong, but your technique is shit. And (laughs) what does that mean? Like, who cares how strong you are if you don't have the technique to apply that force? Um, and then by the time you build up that technique, it's been, okay, 12 weeks since you've had the aerobic phase, eight weeks since you've had the hypertrophy phase, four weeks since you've had the, those qualities start to drop off a little bit. So yes, your technique's coming back up, but you know, it's always these, um, these waves are never aligned. You build one up and it drops off and you build another up and it drops off. And uh, what you want in any sport is to have hopefully all your qualities in line at the same time. You want to be strong. You want to be fit. And you want to be technically proficient altogether. And it, it's a bit difficult sometimes to to align those. And also, I mean, it's not just the fact that the physical qualities drop off, but it's also the fact that um, you know your body changes. If you get stronger, your timing is going to be different. If you get bigger, your time is going to be a bit different. It takes your body time to adjust to that. And by the time you adjust and put it into your technique, you know whatever extra benefit you got from putting all your energy into maximum strength um it might have dropped off a little bit so with the the kind of the complex approach train everything together it might you might inf- well you i don't say you might you will not get as strong in four weeks focusing on everything as you will as focusing on one thing you're not going to get a 10% maximum strength gain. You might get a one or 2%, but that one or 2% you can use because you're training technique every day and it's usable strength, not just weight room strength. It's mm-hmm. strength that you can put into your sport because you're training every day and you know, you're know you going to be able to bridge that gap.
0: Yeah, for sure. You, you also mentioned about <laughs> you would do the same workout multiple times a week essentially and then track the progress basically with your throws. Just thinking now, I wonder if, was that the Bondachuk philosophy where you do the same workout until you see no change or improvement in that competition exercise and then you change the variations? Or, can, or, is, or is there another way of, I guess, using that style without having to do the same workout all the time?
1: I mean, the, the simplest model is we would do the same thing over and over. Yeah. Now, that can get a bit monotonous. Um, at the same time, if you have a good training group, and you're doing the same thing it's not boring i think a lot of people look at it on paper and say how could you ever do that it's like well you know you're training with your best friends you're working with the best coach in the world it's it, training is as fun as the environment and so if the environment's fun it, it'll be fun but that's the simplest way we did, did the same thing what you can also do um and what we did before is we, we might have you know three different workouts we cycle through so you know you'd have if we were monday would be um workout a in the morning workout b in the afternoon tuesday would be c in the morning tuesday afternoon would be a rest uh, and then we, we kind of cycle through so we're we're doing kind of the same thing repeating but it's broken up into different sessions so it's um not necessarily the same thing every single session but you know an advantage we have in the hammer throw is we have we know exactly what shape we're in every single session we can pull out the tape measure and other than a few environmental factors if it's you know terrible weather or something like that We know I threw 68 meters today. That's how good I am. Uh, You can't quite say that in MMA, uh, at least to that quantifiable level. You can't do that in rugby. You can't do that in a lot of sports, but we can go out and see how good we are every day. And, you know, Mona and weightlifting, the same thing, if she wanted to, um, you know, you you can, with either max testing or even with velocity-based work, you can kind of see, okay, this is where I'm at. And uh, that allowed us to kind of gauge the long-term adaptation are we adapting um and it's not always going to be up sometimes you take a step back before you go forward um but you can kind of see is this program
0: working and when is the time to change it does that mean you had like a a specific program that you peaked with because you knew what worked or did that always change it it would change but i mean like the
1: you you can't as I said before, like everyone's a bit different and it takes a bit of time to understand what works for someone. So with some athletes, you definitely get the idea. These exercises, they really react well to, um, you know, like for me, like close grip snatch, I loved, um, I'm not sure if it was just a placebo effect or if it was actually physically what helped me throw better. But when I was doing that in training, it's, you know, one of the fastest Olympic lifts, uh, you know, the longest range of motion, you have a really long, quick pull. I felt snappy when I did it. And that was a, an exercise I would save for kind of that peak phase. Um, and it would work well. There are certain hammers I threw. Like if I threw really heavy hammers, it slowed the movement down. So I could hone in my technique a bit more. And those are, again, a I, I, when I'd been doing this program for six, seven, eight, nine years, you start to realize which, which things work for an athlete. And then you can use those when you really want to get in in peak shape. But, you know, it's that, that kind of goes back to, we're not doing a hundred things in training.
0: Hmm. As I
1: said, we're doing like 10 things. And so if we do a training block, we can kind of figure out, Hey, this worked. Um, You know, if I'm only doing three or four key weight room exercises and, A training block I really reacted well to and had a huge jump in performance. I'm pretty sure that those are the things that helped. If you're doing a different session every day and every day you've got 20 different bodybuilding exercises in there and you got good after a month, well, how can you say, what was it in there that actually helped? Was it the the leg day? Was it the arm day? Was it the technical work? Was it the this or that? And that's why I think one of the beauties of Chuck's thing is it's not necessarily it's better, but it's simpler. You have so few elements involved. When something works, you learn from it, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of times when it didn't work. We'd have phases where we didn't get better, but then we realized, okay, that you know, I did to grass squats five times a week or um, <laughs> with eighty percent. Okay, well, it didn't work. Maybe let's try it at seventy percent. Let's try. You know, you can. You, you learn from the mistakes as much as you learn from the successes. So by keeping the number of variables smaller. You start to see what worked for the athlete. How long does the athlete need with a certain program to adapt to it? Not everyone's going to need four weeks or eight weeks. You know, it's it's going to be a bit individual. And you start to suss out all these individual elements of uh, how does it work. And then over the years, if you're if you're using a similar program, you can really start to, to hone in on okay, this is this is what the athlete really reacts well to.
0: Does does that mean then if you have exercises that you know you peak well with, that you avoid using them in the buildup so they're fresh?
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, um, as I said, it's we still have sequences in that you need change as an athlete. You can't always do the same thing. It's not that we're going from general to specific. We're going from one type of specific to another. So, if I know close grip snatch works really well for me, I might not do that for eight months leading up to a competition, and then I'll put it in the last program. I might do cleans. I might do high pulls. I might do snatch. So you're always doing a little bit different each phase, and then when you get to that it's something new it's something fresh and you get that stimulus again if you do it even the best exercise in the world if you're doing that every day yeah the whole year it's going to be dull so i like to say it's like sharpening your knives you might have the best knife in the kitchen and it slices beautifully but if that's the only knife you use it's going to get dull after a while mm. and you got to switch knives maybe the second best knife um you pull that out, but you know, it's the second best knife is the sharpest one now. So go ahead and use that. And while you're using that one, you can sharpen the first knife again and go back to it, but you want to make sure that it doesn't get dull. Yeah.
0: That's a great analogy. Do you have then maybe some examples, maybe we can use MMA because it's probably, because it's the most hybrid of all the, all the combat sports breaking down, say exercise classification before MMA. So from the competition all the way down to GPP. Yeah. And
1: as here's, what I said, it gets a little bit towards gray areas because, yeah. um, at a certain point, what category something then is in doesn't really matter. <laughs> What's important is that you kind of, you, you get in the whole spectrum and that you understand what you're trying to do with something. Um, so if you're really trying to use a general exercise to build up your specific capacities, it's not going to work. Um, you know, but if you take it at the competition level, you know, what is the competition for MMA? you know, that would be sparring and it could be, I I'd be a bit more broad than just actual doing rounds or something like that, but it could be shorter spars, longer spars, but it's something that's going to involve, um, you know, different ground-based work, standing work, um, all that type of stuff, trying to pull it all together. So you have some tactical elements in there as well. When you get to the specific development exercises, that's where I think you you're going more towards, um, isolating different qualities. So it might be some more ground-based work where you're putting someone in different positions and trying to get out of it, uh, trying to make it maybe a little bit harder than it would be to really build up those specific elements of the fight, um, or maybe working on a specific type of movements. If it's a you know, punching movements, it might be uh, you know working with heavy bags or something like that, where it's, you know, it's starting to look like elements of it, but it's removed from the whole um, you know, complete sparring type of situation again, you're, you're reducing some of the variables so you can overload it uh, a bit more. Um, so it's a bit, a little bit less chaos, but, um, more, more load than, and then the specific work, specific preparatory work is again, going to probably be more, um, building up individual qualities like power. Um, but you know, leg power, more generally, uh, upper body power, more generally weight room exercises, that type of thing. And, um, uh, the the general work too is because you're using every single energy system and it's hard to say that okay general is using different energy systems well you're using every energy system but <laughs> um so I think those last two categories start to blend in a, a very hybrid yeah. sport like that but they're, they're both again working you know power qualities more isolated work capacity qualities more isolated uh those types of things
0: yeah yeah I, I know what you mean by the those bottom two categories tend to be blended like because again, you're trying to train so many different qualities, even getting, I guess you could say, I guess you could say you could get, still get too far away from the sport, even the GPP phase, you know, if you, yeah. if you really pushed it and, you know, did something completely out of, out of the thing. So I almost, I, <laughs> I struggle to call it GPP. It's more like specific general, <laughs> general preparation because you're, you're still trying to bridge that gap between what you're doing there to kind of uh, influence the things up the pyramid.
1: Exactly. And and even if we start to talk about energy systems too, one thing I've noticed about rugby is that we think of qualities like endurance. Well, endurance can be very specific. Like we have some really fit guys who can go and they can do a Bronco, for example, or an endurance test and they do great. But after 20 minutes on the pitch, they're exhausted. Yeah. Um, And being able to run for at a steady pace for a long time is different than being able to take hits and, and give hits and, you know, being in a, um, being in a hold where you're in an isometric contraction for 30 seconds. Um, uh, those are very specific qualities. So even on the endurance and work capacity side, there's, there's a spectrum as well. Um, and when I started playing rugby a bit, I noticed that exactly. Cause compared to other forwards, you know, guys that are 115 kilos like me, uh, I'm I'm fit. I, I can run faster than them. I can, you know, run longer than them, all that. But uh, you put me in a scrum and like, I'm bending over on my knees for 15 seconds after, because <laughs> that's just a different type of endurance. Yeah. Um, And uh, taking hit after hit, like getting back up from that, it, it's a different type. So, you know, I'm getting winded, whereas I should, you know, if you look at me on paper with a test, I should be more fit than these guys, but I'm not.
0: Yeah. That it's funny, like I mean, that brings us back to, I mean, we've talked about it quite a bit through the past how many years. The the ones that are strong in the gym and on the field, but um, or sorry, I should say on the field or within the sport, the absolute animals. But then in the gym and on the field, you see, you know, they don't put up the best numbers, they don't put up the best fitness scores or anything like that. Yet they're, they're the best players or fighters that are there. Just because they're so technically good they understand the game they understand the rhythm of the game so they're able to pace themselves they can manipulate the pace based on their skills and things like that so there's so many other factors to take into account than just um oh, um as you're saying quote-unquote fit fit enough to do the sport you know so yeah and that's kind of what i mean to bring it back to bonchuk that's
1: what started his whole um thought process and trying to reinvent this most of the periodization models were trying to get athletes as strong as possible and you know, he noticed, he set the world record. He wasn't as strong as the guy who had it before him. Mm. And then his athletes set the world record and they were, you know, 10, 20% weaker than he was. <laughs> and so he's like, it's not we're all strong guys. It's not that you can be in, you know, squatting a hundred kilos and be a world record holder in a hammer throw. You gotta, you gotta have a lot of strength, but the strongest guy is not winning here. So maybe we need to invert the whole planning model and focus less on strength and, you know, put the top priority as, as throwing the world record holders, if you look back at it, all had better technique than the last. So there's a mm-hmm. correlation between technique. There's a correlation between specific strength. Um, and the further you get from this, the sport itself, the further down that exercise classification, the correlations are weaker and weaker. Um, so, you know, who has the best mile time has zero correlation or maybe a probably negative correlation. The the people who have the best mile time are going to be the worst hammer throwers because they're going to be little skinny blokes. Um, so the trying to suss out a bit okay let's put the priorities where they need to be and try and figure out what what's going to actually
0: transfer over from training to to our sport Hmm. do you see do you see that the trend of i guess chasing maximal strength slowly kind of eroding away i think it's slowly getting there but there's still a lot of people just looking to chase numbers in all sports i
1: think so um but it's always going to be the default i think it's always something pretty measurable yeah um, and it, you know i think it's human nature we want to get <laughs> bigger faster stronger yeah so um telling someone you're strong enough is always uh, it, it's hard to accept that as okay well let's focus on something else because it's harder to quantify my technique or quantify my tactical skills or things like this you know if i got five percent better in the squad i i know that i'm better um even if i'm not performing better in the ring so i I think that's that's always a fallback um you know i I see that even with some of my athletes now we um i try not to focus on maximum strength but uh we do that with some athletes just because it's easy to focus on that and sometimes it also um it does bring benefits you got to figure out maybe some athletes it's not the maximum strength doesn't matter with some athletes maybe that is what works with them um it, you know you you see that with different we have different technical styles in the hammer throw some are more speed dependent some are more strength dependent but you also see that probably in the ring some some fighters are more strength-based some, some fighters are more agility-based some fighters are more endurance-based um kind of learning what makes you tick um in general, maximum strength is not going to be the thing that's going to get everyone better, but maybe with a, a subset of athletes, it is. So you got to experiment and see. Well, maybe that that is what works. It's not that it's we're over maximum strength, but um, it's not going to be the solution for everyone. So all I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah, for sure. And there's probably there's, there's ways to I guess do it well for the sport so If you're doing pure powerlifting, full range squats, benches, and deadlifts, yeah, you're probably gonna. Run into some issues but i guess if you're doing max strength maybe doing like quarter squats um shorter range of motion stuff stuff off the pins and things like that you know there might be it might be a little easier in terms of recovery um not from absolute load standpoint but at least muscular wise from the range of motion and the stuff you're putting yourself through
1: yeah exactly um and as boner would say you can train maximum strength, but it shouldn't be too much to the detriment of those more specific categories. So, um, you know, if you're doing, if you're training maximum strength, that means going astagrass squats 90% all the time. Uh, yes, you're going to get maximum strength, but you're going to be so fatigued the next day or two. You're probably going to not get as good of technical training. So yeah. train maximum strength more sensibly, like you say, maybe quarter squats, maybe, yeah, full full range, but okay, less frequent or maybe more explosive, or, or trying to figure out a way where that, that, that work doesn't work to the detriment of the technical development, because uh, you can combine them both. And unless you're like an Olympic lifter or a power lifter, um, I've seen almost every athlete can increase maximum strength with two, three sessions a week. They yeah. don't have to be going into that red zone every single session. You, you can get maximum strength gains without going crazy, and you can still keep that focus on the
0: specific work at the same time. Because you could you can literally like you can lift, I guess for the listeners out there, you can do anywhere from what 65 to like 80 percent, and you can keep the volume generally low, and you can still you can still improve maximum strength just from sitting in those ranges, less fatigue. It's almost like it's almost the opposite of that high low model where obviously with the energy energy systems you're looking at really high outputs and speed, and then the really low-end aerobic stuff. But then with strength training, it's like you want to sit in that middle ground, and it seems to be a nice way in the gym to be able to get stronger, but not have so much fatigue carrying over to whatever else you need to do that day.
1: And as I said, we we would sometimes train up to 10 times a week. Well, if you look at that training, even if we're doing squats, we were doing squat 10 times a week, but we were doing three sets at 70%. You know, if I'm doing three sets at three by three or three by five at 70%, I can come back and do that again later in the day. I can do that the next day. It's easily recoverable, but it's also you would see strength gains from it just because the amount of volume you get in a week is crazy. Even if you're doing two, three sets a session, that's 20, 30 sets a week of squats, um, high intent, a high speed. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, if you talk about a high, low model, it's in the middle as far as one rep max, but it's on the higher spectrum in terms of velocity. Um, Mm. so you're in higher spectrum in terms of power, so you're getting a lot of good qualities out of that and you can push up the maximum strength at the same time without the detriment, um, of just feeling sluggish, feeling sore
0: and, and all those other side effects that might affect the special specific work. Awesome. I actually want to touch on the residual training effect stuff too. So we're in the process of writing and publishing a, you know, I guess we can call it a counterpoint to the current yep. residual training effect. So maybe you want to just for the listeners, uh, define or explain what the residual, or residual training effects are and there may be just some ideas around that in terms of training and how it could potentially influence or not influence training
1: so this comes back to like i said block periodization and, and vladimir is, is one of the um, chief authors uh, about block periodization and has put together his kind of model of block periodization a lot of it is based around what he's defined as the residual train effects and if you um you know if you spend as i said one block focused on one quality and another block focused on another quality it's important to know okay after i finish the maximum strength block how long is the residual training effect how long do i maintain that quality i just built up because that helps me allow how long can i go without it before i have to go back to it so if the residual training effect for maximum strength is four weeks that means after a max strength block i could do something different for four weeks and come back to it and you know i'm you know plus minus a few percent from where I was. If I go six weeks, then whatever gains I had, I start to lose more of. Um, So he's written in in the literature, his, um, you know, his interpretation of how long the residual training effects are for different qualities to help with planning. And what what we've been talking about is, of course, there are residual training effects. Um, You know, when you train something, after you stop training it, it's going to fall off how long it takes to fall off, how much it takes to fall off. Um, those are, are up for debate. And, and that's, um, you know, with, with Isrin's work, he makes it seem like much more formulaic. If you train this quality, you will retain it this long. And it's not that simple because there's so many factors at play. I mean, first and foremost, everyone knows this firsthand, like your training age, how long you've trained. Um, uh, you know, if you've been, for instance, I haven't done cleans. I've been focusing a lot on snatch lately. I haven't done cleans in, in months, but I could probably walk in tomorrow and be uh, pretty close to my clean because I've been training them for 20 years. Um, the, the longer you train, the, you know, the easier it is for a quality to come back. Um, same thing on the technical side, too. I've taken so many hammer throw it's over the year that I haven't thrown a hammer since last June, but I could probably walk in and my techniques. Okay. Um, so training age plays a role. What you do during that break, are you just, you know, sitting around doing nothing, um, that, or are you doing other peripheral exercises? You know, if I'm, if I don't do any, any train at all for a month, my qualities are going to drop off faster than if I do cross training or some other, um, peripheral training. And and there are all these different factors involved. Um, and, we need to pay attention to them as a coach. I think where we fall into a trap is when we start to think uh, we have these formulas, we can predict training. Um, We instead need to realize this is a complex process. There are a lot of different factors involved. It's gonna be very individual. How long one athlete can go without training, current quality is gonna be different than another. Um, And we need to be aware of that in planning so we can be a bit more flexible in our approach. Um, So that's kind of, I think the point we're trying to get across is, uh, training is not mechanistic it's not formulaic there's a lot of uncertainty involved so Mm -hmm. we need to plan with uncertainty in mind and and, you know be a bit more adaptable in our approach rather than just falling back on these formulas
0: (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's funny how we can give such precise almost like day like down to the day plus or minus a few days where their quality lasts i mean yeah as you mentioned there's so many influences i think the biggest influence is the fact that you're usually doing other training anyway like you mentioned you're doing snatches and you haven't been doing cleans you know that's still going to carry up and help you with your cleans. exactly <laughs> yeah so there's
1: when I, I even did i mean i was i wrote an article about this years ago but there was a time when i did no snatches and no cleans for a while and then came back and you know was able to i think equal or, or tie my best in the snatch mm. but if you look at the hammer throw release you know that's a pull that's a pulling movement. I'm doing that every single day. Um, It's a different type of pull, but yeah, that's some type of strength training I'm doing every single day. So I'm doing uh, something and rarely are we in a situation. A lot of the research looks at, okay, what do people do when they have a four or six month uh, layoff? How many elite athletes do you know that have a, you know, a month long layoff or two month long layoff? You know, we might have a week or two. So yes, the research might tell us something about that situation, but that's something we never encounter as a, a coach, unless you have an injury or, or something like that where it's a forced layoff so um yeah it, it's yeah it's a, it's a complex topic but um yeah. we need to appreciate that complexity if we want to plan for it
0: and, that, and that's an important thing to mention too you said you were throwing the hammer and that was essentially like a pull i mean a lot of sports it's a sit they can be considered somewhat strength training i mean grappling when you're having to manipulate another human is essentially a form of strength training even though you depending on how you're doing it you're going to cast yourself out too as you know, from from your contact training. So, I mean, that also plays a role in, in maintaining strength. It might not be maintaining the ability to back squat, whatever it is, but you're still producing a lot of force and you're producing it in a way that's specific to whatever you, it is you need to do. And strength isn't just uh, the ability to express it in a certain exercise like the squat. It's the ability to produce force and you know, whatever that task is that you're competing in.
1: Yeah, I mean, a- every training is you're you're never only working on technique you're never only working on strength um you can try and isolate those qualities but you know if i'm hitting a punching bag 20 times that's also strength training it's a different type of strength so that's why i think it's important to understand the categories and understand how much overlap there is too but that also makes us realize we need to plan for every category i think too often historically let's take um in the hammer throw, we'd we'd have a very detailed set and rep plan down to the rest periods and everything in the weight room. And then we go out to throw and we say, Oh, let's throw for half an hour. You know, I don't know how many throws it's going to be. That's, that's how much time I have as a coach or in rugby. We'd say, okay, we, we have this very detailed strength training plan, but then we're going to have, we're going to have an hour on field session. Um, <laughs> you know, it will we'll work on passing today. It's it's very vague and generic. and And that happens at the highest
0: level too unfortunately exactly
1: (laughs) yeah and we put all this time into playing only one category when we should put you know if you look at bonachuk's plan he has sets and reps for every single category what weight implement are we throwing how many um throws we're going to do that um all those types of things and when we get to rugby and you look at the top clubs now uh what they do on field is also detailed we're going to do this drill for five minutes normally we'll have uh you know so many meters run during that phase so much of high speed running they, they know exactly what is the load of each drill yeah. for the specific work and the general work and same thing with sparring it's not just okay we're going to spar um let's just say we're going to have you know uh you know 10 30 second high intensity bouts with two minutes rest in between you know just trying to go into a bit more detail of what what you're planning so that you can um try and and focus that stimulus on on what you need instead of just saying oh that's just the technical work we're going to do that um you need to put as much emphasis in that in the planning as everything else because that's also physical training uh, mm. you can't just say this is physical and that's tactical and technical it's everything's everything
0: wasn't it wasn't it mayweather that had his coaches counting his punches in training with a cat with a clicker i, I swear think so, yeah. I, yeah i mean that's i mean that's extreme uh, I guess recording of, of volume right there. If you no, and you you even had
1: the, like um, in, in talking with some of our friends from from Gain and you know John Pryor and, and Dean Benton when they're working with some of the top rugby clubs, you know they can get GPS to make sure how much they're running in a session, but yeah. that's only part of the load. So they would actually count the number of, of tackles and you know and contacts and stuff, so they can see okay, well we're setting up this drill we want to work on on tackling are we actually tackling that much are we are we getting what we're supposed to out of this drill and so the, yeah they would measure the number of contacts per minute or, or things like that mm-hmm. just to try and you know quantifying isn't the end-all be-all but it helps give you a feedback of you know what are you trying are you accomplishing what you're trying to accomplish
0: yeah i love that that defensive one of the defensive setups we used to use was, was things like trying to exceed contacts per minute like maybe an average or maybe a worst case scenario in a game. So it could be exactly, yeah. similar for, I guess, in the main things, it could be, you know, what, what is the worst case scenario in a fight? It could be maybe you have a flurry of punches against a fence for five, 10 seconds, and then you get taken down and you have to try escape. And then maybe it's a whole 30 second minute sequence and you go, okay, well th- that is the worst thing you've gone through conditioning wise. Now you're going to train to exceed that. So maybe it's taking, higher intensity, whatever, of punches being held down for longer, you trying to escape for longer. Um, yeah, there's there's just so much that, that can be done. Exactly. Oh, perfect. I, th- I think we covered covered everything there, Martin. Um, is there anywhere where people can follow you if they want to keep up with what you're doing?
1: Yeah, we're up on uh, social media, Twitter, Instagram, at HMMR Media. So it's Hammer Media, but spelled a bit different, HMMR. Uh, you can go to hammermedia.com. we got a lot of resources up there and mentioned a couple of times uh, GAIN, which is the Vern Gambetta's community and, and conference. Um, that takes place in June every year in Houston, but uh, we got some other digital events here and there as well. And uh, Ideas to bring together coaches from different sports as well. And so you can find out about that at thegainnetwork.com. Uh, great, great networking opportunity. So those are some some places. And if you guys have questions about these, uh, feel free to shoot me an email. I can either answer them or point you to resources we have out there that that answer them because there's a lot of almost everything we talked about. There's even more available online about it over.
0: I'll link up your stuff in the description, but thanks for coming on Martin. Really appreciate it.
1: No problem. Always great catching up with you.
0: Cheers.